Welcome to the Global Media Cultures Podcast. I am your host, Juan Llamas Rodriguez. Today we are discussing the music of Chavela Vargas and how her later works addressed issues of indigeneity, migrancy, and of course, being a queer woman in a predominantly male musical genre. Our guest is Dr. Lorena Alvarado. She's an assistant professor of music and performance in the Global Arts, Media, and Writing Department at the University of California, Merced. Her work on contemporary popular Latinx music has appeared in the Cambridge History of Latino Literature and the Routledge Companion to Latina Latino Media. She is also a poet, and her chapbook, Red Line Lullaby, was published in 2017. Lorena, welcome to the Global Media Cultures Podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Juan, for your invitation. I want to start by asking you, could you talk to us generally what your work is about? Why does it interest you? Why do you think it's an important area that needs to be studied? Well, my work has to do with um, the performance of emotion and Mexican and Latino vernacular music in general. And I mean, I think there's so many things that we communicate uh, not through words. Um, so, you know, the conveying how do musicians convey emotion um, is was something that I was interested in pursuing, I think even before I even thought of myself as a scholar, right? Um, and, you know, having grown up in a Latino community, in a Mexican community here in California, um, the performance of, uh, or, or rancheras in general, were a big part of my life, you know. Um, there is a quality of ranchera performance that is really important for a singer to nail or a musician, and that is sentimiento. Right, that's how it is referred to, you know, colloquially, you know, in 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 an everyday context, right? Oh, the singer sings with so much, so much gana, so much uh, emotion, you know, mm -hmm. and but that word really is sentimiento. So I was interested in going and you know investigating. Maybe that's not the right word, but you know, um, immersing myself, you know, in this idea, which I think I was already immersed. Um, so uh, in, in doing this work, you know, it's also, um, there is a political aspect to it and denaturalizing, right, the, um, the relationship between any particular national subject, like, let's say, Mexican, and a certain way of conveying emotion, right? right. So I see it as also, you know, undoing, you know, that sometimes naturalized binary, and we can see this in, in the scholarship, or maybe even just in everyday discourse, right? right. Um, oh, well, you know, these Mexicans are so emotional, or they're so passionate, or, or any, any given group. Right. Um, so, um, you know, I'm interested in looking at how this phenomenon is really um, only possible it's actually a, a for from my perspective from my um argument if you want to call it that um it's a multi it's really a multimedia you know phenomenon you know that is only possible with um the mediations of voice and instruments music 
um, uh, the body as well, right. right? So you put all of these things together, right? And it produces an effect at any, at any given time. And it sounds and it's understood in different ways across time, right? right. So my work really looks at it from the work of Lucha Reyes, which is like more 1940s, mm-hmm. 1930s, 1940s, to now to work to uh, workers, cultural workers in the present, you know. Right. Um, so that's that's generally the the questions that I I'm I'm pursuing right now, and I have been pursuing. So today we're specifically discussing your article, uh, Never Late, Unwelcome Desires and Diasporas in Chavela Vargas's Last Works, which was published in Women in Performance, a Journal of Feminist Theory, Volume 26 in 2016. Um, Can you give us a brief history of this article, kind of like where you began working on it? How did the project come about? Um, How did ideas sort of change in the process of researching and writing and all of that? Yeah, so I started this project, this essay, and I was as I was finishing my dissertation, uh, one of my dissertation topics was Chavela Vargas, but I did not necessarily pursue this relationship between her work and age. Um, and uh, I don't know how I came about, you know, this idea of late style. I think it was through a colleague or a friend, you know. It, you know, it always happens in community, right? Like knowledge mm-hmm. and knowledge making is is a community enterprise, uh, I think. Um, and so, and I think, I mean, I was reading Said as well, but in different contexts. I mean, you're reading Said in the context of Orientalism, right? Or cultural mm-hmm. imperialism, but he was also so interested in um, music, um, Western music. I mean, he was truly a Renaissance scholar, a Renaissance man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea, well, how can, you know, I, I, I was interested in how late style could really dialogue with, with Vargas's um, later works, you know, because she was recording into her 80s, into her 90s. Right. Um, so that's, that's how this started. And at that point, you know, when I was writing, she had her two, um, she had Cupaima, right? I think that was 2006, and then later, never, uh, sorry, Por Mi Culpa, 2012. Um, so I focused on those two. And, you know, it just takes a long time, as you know, research, writing, you know, getting it peer-reviewed. So I, um, I'm talking about maybe four years, just give and take, yeah. uh, from the time that I started to the time it was actually published. That's that's a you know that's a sort of history and of course I continue with that um, and I don't know if that's something we we're going to discuss later but you know she continued to record after that too you know so um, now for 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 the future project for the actual book then I will include the the last one that she did as when she was ninety two right so yeah. she's just a fascinating figure um, in that sense you know like those popular singers that have long careers are just really fascinating to see the arc of their of their masterworks. Right. Well, could you give us a little bit of that? Like, what is the art? What is the significance of Chavela Vargas as an artist uh, in the different contexts that she worked in? Um, and this arc of this very long career, right? If she was her last album coming out in her 90s. Uh, but even as you point out, she started late in her um, right in her life, um, in her career as well. So could you give us a brief 
sort of overview of her career and her importance? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, she's such an icon for so many communities. Um, she is not just, uh, you know, one of the ranchera singers, although more of a marginalized one, but nevertheless, you know, with with a very loyal following, you know, and later in her career, she also became uh, um, some sort of a queer symbol as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, although that's not a label that she carried with her really at any given point explicitly, you know? But I think later on she embraced it a little more um, openly. Um, mm -hmm. This doesn't mean that it wasn't known that she was a queer woman. I mean, her, um, when she, so she arrived uh, to, to Mexico as a very young teen, you know, so a 15, 16, 17 year old, you know, so younger than a lot of our students in college, right? You know, she right. moves from Costa Rica a country that she never identified with, despite being, you know, born there and having a family there, having perhaps having to do with the lack of, um, the lack of protection, the lack of love, um, the lack of uh, family, really, that that she experienced. Uh, she experienced abuse. You know, she experienced neglect, mm -hmm. um, which you know, I, it's it's something that we see all over the world. You know, these these young kids also rejected because of her queerness right i think at that time the rareza right mm -hmm. that i reference i think i referenced the article um so like that she 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 made a, a different life as a young girl um young woman in in mexico city determined to sing you know but of course i'm talking about arriving there in the 30s, late 30s, she recorded her first um, her first work professionally in 1961. That's when it. So, in between there, I mean, she was singing, but she was also, you know, she had a lot of odd jobs. She had a clothing store, right? Um, and I think it's also important to say that she was not just a ranchera singer. She she was a versatile performer that also took on Colombian pasillos or tangos or, um, you know, Spanish songs, uh, Cuban Cuban songs, if you can call Macorina, because it, it was written by a Cuban-Spanish poet. Mm -hmm. um, so I think sometimes we do tend, or, or we, um, or in general, maybe we might ignore this amazing versatility of hers to go from one genre to another right? right so she really created her own kind of style she was in that sense peerless and you know extraordinary um really on the vanguard i think of popular vernacular song and very much aligned with the politics of what we would call nueva canción later on in her career because she was mm -hmm. interested in exploring you know the popular of of the continent, you know, right. at a time when there were also so many influences coming in from, you know, there was rock and roll and everything else. There were there were also a lot of social movements um, that I think align with her musical project and, and vision. Right. So you mentioned so she was very a, a versatile performer, thinking a lot of different genres. But for some reason, we've we've come to think of her very. Uh, generally, or um, at least in popular culture, associated with ranchera music, right? Um, 
and particularly with ranchera music, but also with her contrast to sort of the mainstream ranchera uh, performers and the, the, the sort of mainstream understanding. Could, could you talk to us about why that was and, and specifically also why, what was the sort of imaginary of ranchera music and how does she come into to queer or to contrast with it? Right, yeah. I mean, definitely she was a ranchera singer too, right? Um, um, and I think at the, the, the model of rancheras that she experienced growing up, you know, because she would say, yo quiero cantar como los mexicanos, I want to sing like the Mexicans. This model was very much exemplified by the singing, uh, by the charro cantor, you know, of, mm -hmm. of Mexican cinema, right? So the ranchera right. really gets developed in, in the context of, of cinema, you know? And popular song in Mexico is inseparable from the stage, whether we're talking right. about theater or whether we're talking about, um, we're talking about cinema, you know, because that's where it, it in the 1920s, um, Teatros de Revista, which were these kind of, uh, you know, shows, traveling shows, um, or itinerant shows within the city that featured plays or satires, political satires, also featured a singer in between, like, uh, in between uh, scenes, let's say. And these right. were like the emerging, the future rancheras, you know, songs that were evoking a sort of um, pastoral Eden in terms of nostal in nostalgic terms um, or, with, or in romantic uh, terms. But it was in, in the 1940s with this, um, uh, with cinema, you know, that, you know, the, the ranchera sort of gets hyper-professionalized um, and this, you know, sung by dashing uh, uh, actors that had operatic abilities like Jorge Negrete, who, you know, right. never wanted to sing from chess, he wanted to be an opera singer, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, um, so that's, that's a kind of ranchera, you know, this glamorized charro, you know, uh, with um, with a mariachi, you know, as a mm -hmm. musical ensemble that got, you know, promoted and distributed throughout the continent, throughout the right. continent, you know, f a, a, a phenomenon in Argentina and Colombia and Peru and Central America. So this is an image that she she has, but she totally undoes it. You know, when she begins, yeah. she gets rid of the mariachi ensemble. You know, opting to sing just with the with with one guitar. At the beginning of her career was Antonio Briviesca. It's a very particular sound, the Mexican guitar, um, and not and dressed in very particular clothing. So I I talked a little bit about that in the article, right? With the mm -hmm. with um with with a sartorial presentation that evoked the. Um, campesino culture right the right. those that tended the land right with a with the horongo um pantalón de manta you know so very a masculine sort of um sartorial presentation um so in doing that i mean and in singing rancheras in that way you know i think she was also interested in delivering them in a different manner and highlighting the words in a different manner Right. rereading the ranchera and right. i think with her we can listen to these lyrics in a different way um 
at that point in the 60s, we weren't just listening to rancheras that were uh, that we heard on um, earlier on in the 40s with the Charro Cantor. Those were really um, rancheras bravias. They were about um, asserting a Mexican identity, a Mexicano right. identity, right? And at that moment, there was already in this by the 60s, there, the the repertoire had. And had become so rich and so much more varied. Um, and I mean, there's masterworks of rancheras by that point, uh, at that time too. Tomas Mendes, Jose Alfredo Jimenez were other writers. And those were one of our favorite ones because of the depth mm-hmm. of their, I mean, poetry, popular poetry, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Y si quieren saber de tu pasado. Es preciso decir una mentira Di que vienes de allá de un mundo raro Que no sabes llorar, que no entiendes de amor Y que nunca has amado So she was really careful in selecting songs, right? That that conveyed some sort of anguished defeat. And that's another type of ranchero. The defeat as triumph. The ones that convey, you know, a failings a relationship, you know, or, or um, uh, a condition that is um, miserable, you know. Oh, gran Dios, cuánto sufro en la vida. There's a lot of these complaints in the ranchero. Those were the ones that she favored, you know, and those were the ones that she transformed um, we, as the rancheras, but also beyond, as, as lyrical masterworks, I would say. Right. As, I mean, as you mentioned, she transformed. It was not only thinking about how to change the musical accompaniment, right, like dropping the mariachi uh, for just the soul guitar, uh, very, very strategic about picking specific themes that she was interested in, right? Um, But then there's also the question of her voice, right? So as as you write, there's something about her voice that's very particular too. Um, And it's not only, and I think part of what you're interested in is that that voice is not the same throughout her career. So it becomes a very particular voice that brings her sort of acclaim early on. Um, and then when you're looking at the later works, it's a different sort of grainier texturized voice that, again, it's speaking to a lot of the similar themes and, and concerns, but in a different way. Um, could you tell us, talk to us a little bit more about that, about the thinking about the, her voice in particular and the, the grain of the voice? If you oh, know. yeah. I mean, it's uh, we talked about versatility, you know, mm-hmm. and she had that ability which i think a lot of ranchera singers have but um the within one song you have to be able to explore the depths of the you know human condition if we can call it that you know from that anguished you know a tortured um person that is you know hysterically in pain you know to um uh uh, you know, conveying uh, the glorious uh, experience of, of of being in love, or or leaving somewhere else, or or the anger at the person, and 
you know, declaring your independence from the world. So I think in that voice, you know, her voice, if you can hear the early recordings, I mean, there's, she had this very strong uh, vibrato, right, in, in her voice. She's able to sort of tremble with mm. uh, desire, you know, even whisper it at times. I mean, this is something that's possible with the microphone, right? This is a very modern sort of uh, reading of a voice. Um, right. um, so with with that instrument of the microphone, I mean, the microphone, something I think we also need to, to think about how it enhances, you know, the voice and the sort of micro, you know, sonic vibrations. Because right. she had a lot of that, you know, she had a lot of that. And um, they were all very sensual. I mean, it could even be very sexual, right? right. Um, you know, because she was saying not just rancheras, but boleros and boleros also... You know, they they are very sensual, you know, and very sexual um, type of love song. Um, and she she continues to have this uh, this power of vibration uh, later in her career. I mean, of course, different. Um, the other thing I was going to say about her voice is how she uses her throat. You know, mm -hmm. she can have that soft vibration and whisper and sort of sublime uh, declaration to to your ear. But she can also then go to the throat like yeah. this, you know? And ah! um, And you hear this in in the matter or within the, the limits of one song. So it's, it's really extraordinary, um, you know, vocal geographies as she explores. He Cariño, con la aurora te vuelve a esperar. Y agarraste por tu cuenta la parranda. And later, I mean, later on, yes, you can hear the age in her song. It's still a potent voice. In the last recording, I mean, she's not quite singing. It's not a singing album. It's a, a poetry recitation album. But she does sing here and there. And, um, you can hear the throat in a different way. You can hear mm -hmm. the throat as, you know, words are trying to escape from it. And So, you know, using sort of this, the, the top uh, or, or the... the um, the top of her throat, like words are escaping. If you have this image in your mind, it, words that are trying to escape the mouth, but don't quite get out, you know? Right, uh, right. So, you know, she evoked a lot of these really interesting imagery, vocal imagery. Yeah. I, I like this idea that you talk about as vocal geographies, right? It's a, it's a way of, it's a helpful metaphor to think about the different places that your, her voice takes you. Yeah, and maybe right. though, we could also say, you know, emotional geographies, right? Because mm -hmm. that's really what the ranchera is. It is a vocal, emotional display, right, of geography, yeah. you know, yeah. from that perspective of the ranchera, right, of human right. love and human pain. Right. 
And um, geography also in the sense that, like it's a journey, right? Like yeah, every lunch yeah, is sort of the right? the emotional journey right. of that person's right. heartbreak. Right. Uh, so it takes you. It literally takes you there. Well, not literally, figurally takes yeah, you there. Yeah. Right? But you With know, but you know what? You know, it could take you there literally too. You know, <laughs> I mean, because there is so there are reflections too. It's it's a it's right. a it's a landscape that reflects, yeah. and that where we can see ourselves, right? Any good love song or any good song. I see myself there. I recognize myself there. I recognize my right. pain there, you know. And that's why it's so. That's why it's so important for us in so many ways. Music, um, right. because we see ourselves there. Yeah. So let's talk about lateness, um, because you you refer to Chevelo Vargas's last work last works, yeah. but you theorize them in, within the concept of lateness, right? right. So you mentioned Said, uh, who's Borrowing from Adorno, uh, but then you also sort of take a twist from from Said, uh, from Edward Said's version of lateness to think about how does this apply to Chavela Vargas's recording in her late '80s slash '90s. So it's definitely a late work. She is at the, you know, end of her career, um, in her '80s and her '90s, um, and. Late style, um, you know, spoke to me as a way to be able to to approach it. But of course, you know, the, the music that Adorno and the music that Said reference, and I mentioned this, um, is very much uh, attached to a different era, a different music, you know. Um, we're talking, I mean, for them, the paradigmatic figure of lateness, musical lateness, is Beethoven. So... Um, that's who they are interested or um, who they're interested in not only I mean the small the very brief essay that Adorno has on lateness one of them is um, on late style and he talks about Beethoven um, and you know Said has uh, at least one book he also references it in another text but he has on late style right music and literature across the grain he applies it to other also to writers uh, and to performers, not just to classical musicians per se. Um, but I, of course, I needed to, uh, you know, if I'm going to apply this to Vargas, I mean, I couldn't necessarily apply it directly as such, you know, because um, this is popular music. And with popular music, you know, uh, the way that we conceive of music and the musician is very different. I mean, if Adorno is really arguing for um, the autonomy of the artist, and sort of this impersonal, autonomous, non-subjective aesthetic. You know, the, uh, the art and the person are not the same. You know, that's impossible for me to do. <laughs> In popular music, there is a different, I have a different approach and we must have a different approach. Um, so, and in, in the case of this popular musician, Chavela Vargas, I mean, a, a, you know, a, a older, um, queer, um, queer in the sense that she queers the, the popular musical traditions that she adopts. Not that it's her self-identification necessarily. A woman that is not Mexican in the um, naturalized sense, you know, right. she's an immigrant after all from Central America, which has historically been subsumed to Mexico. Yeah. 
right? Um, and a, a, an older woman at that, you know, it, with all of these characteristics, really embodies. That's why I recall Audre Lorde, right? It's it's those that were never meant to survive. Yeah. Um, and for her, for Audre Lorde, you know, so so survival is a sort of more than late style. Survival is a connection between Said and Lord. You know, where Said says, you know, um, you know, lateness is that, you know, or late work is that which has um, a survived way too like way too much, way too long. Right. You know, and for Lord, it's. Um, you know, she talks about those that were never meant to survive um, in the context of Black America, right? Um, right. With white supremacy, etc. So, the marginal subjects so that 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 just, well, Chavela is very in, in many ways working at the margins, creating a new world and challenging the center, or what we presume to be the center of. The of sub of the subject of the nation, you know, right. and she's working from the margins, you know, and she is a subject that historically and could, and still now we want to ignore or to kill off, you know, or disenfranchise, right? You know, the talk about the queer Central American migrant subject. I mean, I, I can yeah. also read, right? Um, so for me, you know, it's I'm talking about that. You know, aesthetic of survival, I guess. Aesthetic of survival in the late work. And those songs constitute throughout her career, I feel, a vision that challenges the dominant notions that we have of rancheras, of boleros, of, you know, Latin American, of the Latin American popular, of femininity, of masculinity, you know. And she persists and she perseveres through the attacks, you know, against her, her music. I mean, attacks, I, I mean, um, maybe not literal physical attacks, but, you know, discursive attacks, right? Oh, right. horrible voice, you know. Oh, yeah. um, you know, this is not going to work. You know, you're never going to succeed, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the whole idea of those who were not meant to survive, it's, goes from those sort of the micro to the macro, right? It's not only she wasn't supposed to make it in the industry, uh, but also she was a migrant who's not supposed to survive in the sort of nation state, um, a queer woman who's not supposed to survive under patriarchy, um, so on and so forth. So all of those, um, up, what is it, nonagenarian? Yeah. When you're 90? Yeah, yeah. nonagenarian, who's most likely, most people aren't get, getting there, so you're not supposed right. to survive because you're that old. So. Um, all of those levels of how you're not supposed to survive, and yet she, she does, she persists. And yeah, um, yeah, I think, yeah. as you point out, she thrives, right? Like that renaissance of late in her career is in some ways fully a renaissance, right? Um, it's like the performance in the big venues and the sort of big comeback. Um, whenever, when, as she points out, she's like the Oxisa, she just came back from the dead. Uh, everyone thought it was dead, but surprise, she's not. And she's back stronger than ever. Right. I mean, people thought she was dead. Right. Literally. Um, And she jokes about it, you know, but I think um, this also reminds me, Juan, that, you know, she had a period in her life where she was not on stage for many years, at least a little over a decade. Um, 
And, you know, the, the, the conventional story behind that is because she was drinking not, uh, with no control. And uh, she, I mean, this was true of her. She did, like, I mean, it's part of her Leyenda Negra, as she calls it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, she was also singing songs, you know, in the 70s. That's when she kind of started to fade away. Her, her, her repertoire became increasingly political. I mean, singing songs by Atahualpa Yupanqui, for mm. example, you know. Uh, and Atahualpa Yupanqui was a figure um, uh, from the, in the 50s, 60s, really talking about the struggles of the campesino in Argentina, right? Um, the, the poverty, the discrimination in the most beautifully poetic ways. Atahualpa Yupanqui is extraordinary. I recommend everybody to listen to Mi padre murió en la mina Sin doctor ni protección Color de sangre minera Tiene el oro del patrón Color de sangre minera Tiene el oro del patrón um, you know, she was singing these type of songs too, and it's very much a coincidence that she started to fade away also as she started to embrace these songs too, you know. Right. But when you see really her, her repertoire, you know, songs that she chose, um, you can interpret those as, as sort of the, you know, there there is a voice of, of the subaltern in some way mm-hmm. in, in, her, in her repertoire. You know, from Oh Grandios to to um, Un Mundo Raro, you know, right. to uh, to Atahualpa songs and many, many. I mean, it's so rich. Um, but yeah, yeah. So people have tried to kill her off in different ways, censor her um, right. in different ways. For sure, yeah. Well, so let's talk also about this sort of political aspect or the bringing in of the subaltern in not only uh, the songs, but also the musical choices for those songs, right? So you um, write quite a bit about uh, the Elm Kupaima and how she's bringing in um, sounds associated with indigenous cultures. And she does that very purposely as a way, as you pointed out, to queer, like redo the rancheras that she's originally. Um, so the song, the lyrics remain the same, but just the entire musical accompaniment is different. Um, so how does that change, and what what is the sort of political project behind that? It's such a fascinating album, Juan. You know, like to to put together, you know, those instruments and the ranchera. Now, it's probably not as radical um, in the sense that it's you know the guitar is still there as a sort of main, right. uh, you know, sonic, uh, you know. leading figure right um but this doesn't mean though that it does have those transgressive possibilities and elements um so what did it mean to play the rancheras but with with these instruments um i think it's a, a way one of the many possibilities i mean for her i mean we can talk about it in terms of her how she interpreted it it was sort of a tribute Right, it was mm-hmm. a tribute. Um, she always credited Native American, you know, Native Indigenous communities with her survival. Right. You know, they cured her of uh, 
blind from a blindness when she was a child. I mean, these are stories that she would tell. But clearly, right. you know, she saw uh, or, or, or she identified um, with indigenous communities um, for a very long time. Um, and she had relationships with them. I mean, at, at, to the point that they did, you know, the Wixarica of uh, Mexico granted her with the, you know, with the title of a shamana, shaman right. healer, right? I mean, this was seriously something that did happen. There was a ceremony. Um, I mean, this is also part of her legendary biography, you know, but right. there is a strong um, uh, element in of, of indigenous um, gratitude or oh no no showing gratitude to indigenous communities um, throughout her career and throughout her biography and throughout her discourse so we can read it also that way to sort of you know saying thanks you know this is who I am too um, but it's also a radical way to face or to to place, you know, genres like the ranchera and the bolero, because the album is also boleros, mm -hmm. and two two genres that are really, even though the ranchera is like evo very evocative of, of you know the rural yeah. uh, world and the bol, it's a very much city, an urban phenomenon, right? Musically, so why is a bolero very much rooted in the city in those new cities, new technologies of the 40s, the 50s, right? right. Post-war. Um, and it's really about saying, wait, we're going to talk about the nation because ranchera is often identified as a national genre, yeah. right? It's symbolizing the whole nation. It's a huge erasure of so many other sonic worlds in Mexico. Yeah. I'm not even talking beyond in Mexico. Yeah. Um, it's really a reckoning with the past or the present that we want to annihilate or we have tried to annihilate since the conquest. You know, it's the instruments that prevailed and that were not right. gone. It's really putting together uh, that indigenous present and indigenous ancestors, be they Nahuatl, Huixarica, um, Zapoteca, Mazateco, with modernity, which is a, yeah. what the ranchera is. Ranchera is a modern, you know, genre, you know, very new, very, very new. Um, and in that gesture, I mean, it's like sort of, let's face each other again. Let's go back to that encounter, you know, between... Um, mestizaje and the the indigenous aspects of ourselves that we don't want to see so i think in that sense it's um it's very much a political album a political project right it's looking at the genealogies that are often denied and even though some rancheras will evoke lo indígena you know through their title or la indica or um there is a line of, uh, by, uh, by Jose Alfredo Jimenez, uh, Descendencia de Cuauhtémoc, Mexicano por Fortuna. You know, he's talking about being the son of the, the people. Mm -hmm. And there's a reference to 
that those the indigenous you know legends glory but it maybe there was a kind of reference through lyrically but not not um not with the sound right and i think the sound i think the most powerful one of the most powerful songs that does this in the album is or, or the songs um un mundo raro which has no guitar accompaniment um yep. and it's not sung so it totally um divests the music and it wants us to listen to the lyrics but the lyrics from a different mouth not from the mestizo charro right but giving yeah. those 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 words to a different mouth from a different perspective from a different from a different defeat and from a different triumph right y si quieren saber de tu pasado es preciso decir una mentira di que vienes de allá de un mundo raro que nos tiende de amor que no sabe yeah i think that that version of un mundo raro is is, is fascinating it's it's so well done and it does all of these things that you that you've mentioned i mean the and again these the um accompaniments here are also late in that sense they're the sounds that shouldn't have survived that weren't intended to survive in the sort of mexican nation state ideal of uh, it's all about mestizaje and erasing the particularities of, of the indigenous communities. Now it's taking this uh, song and reintroducing them and making it a neo um, and all. So you mentioned this earlier. Um, so where have you gone with this research since? Um, so you mentioned now you're also thought about uh, or, or are writing about her last album um, or thinking more broadly more about her career so so where is this research going Where you yeah going well now? you know it's it's a chapter of the book now right so which is different from this this article it's different from the this which is so ancient <laughs> it's a uh, different in the sense that yeah, it's including this new um well the newer the 2012 um production mm-hmm. um uh, luna grande la luna grande and that is a tribute album to Federico Garcia Lorca, Mm. um, who she also loved, right? Um, And she recites his poetry, and we can hear her music in the background, like the guitar plays one of the songs, you know, let's say it's La Llorona or uh, Un Mundo Raro with uh, uh, one of Garcia Lorca's works. So it's another extraordinary album, and it's it's, so I'm including that but from a, I'm looking at the uh, at the question of age, but I'm also looking at, at combined with this issue of saying goodbye. So, um, uh, looking at the her sort of despedidas, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the uh, the the chapter has to do with with that, and you know the canción um, mexicana has a lot of despedidas in it. Um, so that's that's where I'm going with with Chabela, I say. You know, um, I'm going to explore, I'm working on that. That's a current project because that's part of the, the larger work. Yeah. That's great. Has there been, 
sort of recent developments. I mean, that was her last album and then she passed. So um, I guess not recent developments in her career, but recent developments in general or um, new ways that you've been thinking about this work and or other artists that you're, you're thinking about? Um, oh yeah, there's always more artists. Um, I mean, after this, I, I think maybe that will be the end. There's been so much more work done on, on Chavela artistically. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, the and documentary just came out. Um, That's true. Uh, there was also a flamenco um, uh, performance inspired by Cupaima, um, or it's called Cupaima, uh, that, you know, was um, uh, he debuted in, in, in Spain. She had, a, of course, a, so she had a really close relationship to Spain. I mean, we can't talk about the whole uh, her whole life and everything. It's <laughs> it's so interesting. But yeah, she had a strong relationship to Spain musically and otherwise. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, that's as far as Chavel. I think that that article or that that chapter might be like I'm just going to stop there. But you know, I, that is in conversation with other uh, singers um, of the ranchera. You know, like Amalia Mendoza or Lucha Reyes, you know. Um, so I am, the, the whole book is interested in the whole question of, of sentimiento and the rancheras, you know, vocal, emotional geographies. So that's that's the project. But I, I you know, I thank you, first of all, for, for this. I hope that, you know, um, students continue to, to be safe, uh, to take care of their health, to take care of their visions. You know, because this is the time that we need to to get to put our, our energy and work into creating another another version of or, or another vision for the world because we need it. And so people like her and people like you all, you know, that that are going to provide us with that, uh, with those otros mundos raros, which we really need right now. Yeah, those new worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lorena, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. It was a pleasure. This episode of the Global Media Cultures Podcast was produced by me and edited by Alan Yu. Opening sound by Pottington Bear and closing credits music by Cloudmouth. This project is supported in part by the School of Arts, Technology and Emerging Communication at the University of Texas at Dallas. Global Media Cultures podcast introduces media scholarship about the world to the world. I'm Juan Yamas Rodriguez. Thank you for listening.